Turn with me to James chapter 3. We are continuing our series. I was gone the last two weeks, and I am so thankful for the continued preaching ministry of this word. I was able to catch some, not all, of Lee and Dan's sermons the last two weeks, and they blessed me, and I hope blessed you with faithfulness to God's word. They fed you the last two weeks. And I praise God for that and for teachers in this congregation to minister to the Word of God. And I am really thankful that I can be back with my home church and be able to preach a sermon in English alone without any French, French translator. And I will not be interrupted every other phrase. And I pray that even though sometimes I can be so confusing, I probably need an English translator. I just thought I could say it and then somebody else could rephrase it. You can laugh. I can. <laughs> James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of those black Bibles in front of you. And we'd love to give that to you if you don't know where we are. We're around page 10, 1013 in the black, big black Bible or 952 in the small Bible. James chapter 3. Continuing the series... Through this little letter of James, we're in chapter 3 now. We're going to take 12 verses. I never thought when we were going together that he would talk to me the way he does now. I can't believe what I'm hearing when my son talks to me. My parents never talk to me unless I'm in trouble. He's the only one, he only talks to me nicely when he wants something. He talks so much, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I'm not comfortable with the way she talks to me about other people. Why, don't we always, why do we always seem to end up in an argument? What happened? We seem to be so close, and now he asked for, for my forgiveness, but I'm having a hard time letting go of the hurt. What he said to me was so do any of these words or sentences, these scenarios hit close to home? Out from our tongues, from our mouths come words, angry words and peaceful words, silly and serious words, dirty and pure words, foolish and wise words. Gentle and tender and sometimes attacking words. Healing and hurtful. Forgiving and bitter. Caring and critical. Complaining and thankful. Cursing and blessing. Trustful, truthful and lying. Flattering and admonishing. Seducing and sincere. Edifying and belittling. Frustrating and faithful. Threatening and sheltering, gossiping and controlling. You could list a lot more. No wonder Jonathan Edwards, one of the godly men in the founding of our country in the 1700s, he was one of the leaders of the Great Awakening, great preacher. As a young, young man, God got a hold of his heart and he wrote down some resolutions of, I. To grow in the Lord, I want to resolve to be a certain way and to act a certain way. And he wrote this resolution, resolved never to say anything at all against anyone, 
But when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and a love to others, agreeable to the lowliest, low, the lowest humility and a sense of my own fault and failings and agreeable to the golden rule do unto others, often when I have said anything against anyone to bring it to and try it strictly by these rules. But we're here this morning in the letter of James. The brother of Jesus, a pastor writing to scattered churches who were facing persecution, and some of them were struggling with spiritual drifting and inconsistency. And James is concerned about the tongue here. He's concerned about our walk, the church's walk and our walk, that though we say we are a Christian, that we live a real consistent life that marks real maturity, that we really got it, that Jesus has really taken over our lives. True Christians are not perfect, but they're growing in maturity if they're real believers. And if they're growing in maturity, it's evidenced by real fruit in their life. Their faith will have works that shows that their faith is genuine. The heart of faith is a true and humble dependence on the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. They turn from our sins and self, and turn and grab hold of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and we now trust in Him. And as we come to chapter 3, James addresses the tongue, he calls it, a term that describes our use of words. I don't think we could limit that to just words of what comes out of our mouth. We could, our, our communication to others. He already brought this subject up in chapter 1, verse 26, you remember that when he says, verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If he thinks he's religious and he does not have control of his tongue. So let's see what he says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Follow along as I read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his old body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every beast and bird and reptile and sea creature and can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse 
people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing, cursing. Singing on a Sunday morning worship and cursing at home. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a tree, fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a, a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's gracious word to us. In this passage, James says, Take your tongue seriously. Faith Church, take your tongue really seriously. Take guard of it. Take account of it. Care about what's coming out of your mouth. Pay attention to the word, the world of words in your life. The words that come from the mind and literally the heart that comes out of the mouth The words you tack and tell yourself, the words you mutter under your breath to your spouse, and the words that you shout to your kids or to your mom or dad, the talk that goes on to your siblings and friends and coworkers and fellow members of this body, take your tongue seriously. And he gives us reasons why we must take it seriously. And I want to point out this morning four reasons. Take your tongue seriously, number one, because your tongue will someday be brought to an account. Take your tongue seriously because your words will be given, you will be given account for your tongue, your use of your tongue, your words. Look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's a strange way to start this subject out. And what I think James is going, he's going to talk about our words, the tongue, and he begins with those who desire to be teachers of God's word. A very prestigious thing in, in James's time. A lot of people would want to be these teachers. They would be looked upon, looked upon and respected. And he says to them, not many of you should be teachers. Watch out. Because I'm going to talk about a subject that you need to pay attention to because he wants them to think twice before they go that direction because teaching work requires the use of a lot of words. And we will give an account for our words and for those who are given this responsibility of teaching the word of God, they will be held at a stricter accounting. Myself... And the elders of this church are going to give an account for our teaching and for our words in and out of the pulpit. And so are you, according to this verse. It says they will be judged as a greater strictness. The implication is all of us will be judged by our words. Here he's going to say, he begins this subject and say, those who are teaching, watch out. I'm going to introduce the subject. You think you want to go this way, think again unless God's really calling you because there is an accounting that's going to take place like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 when he says, everyone who has been given much will be required much. 
And who's been entrusted much, he'll demand the more. There's a higher, higher accountability. He says these almost terrifying words in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Have you thought of that passage recently? On the day of judgment, people will give, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, that could lead us into a lot of confusion this morning and say, what does he mean by that? Do we earn our justification by good words? And we're, if we have enough good words, we're saved, and if we have enough bad words, we're not saved and condemned? No. I do believe that Jesus was telling them that, and James wants us to understand this, your words will prove whether you're really real or fake. They, this is a heavy and serious truth. Jesus is not implying, get right with me and God and stay saved by getting control of your words. No, but there is a judgment coming and your words will bear witness about who you really are. Your, your words will bear witness whether the Spirit has come into your life and you really are a new creature, growing or not. I don't think that I or we or our families and parents and children and seniors and whatever age you are, we often do not think in terms of, I will give an account for the words that I speak. If anything should make us take our tongue seriously is the fact that someday, as Matthew 12 says, we will give an account. And James points us to that reality when he says, teachers, watch out. Everyone's going to get judged. You're going to be judged stricter. You have a unique accountability as the heralders of God's word, as those who are teaching the truth as representatives of me. But in reality, friends, we all represent God if we are his children. We're either a good representative or a poor representative with our words. And we will be given account to that. That's what he says in verse 1. The second, so the first reason is take your, son, your word seriously, your tongue seriously. You'll someday give an account for your words. Number two, take your son, tongue seriously because your tongue has a disproportionate large influence. Disproportionately large influence on your entire life. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. He's being really honest here. He's saying we all have problems. We all sin. That word stumble could also be translated sin. We all sin in many ways. Christians do sin. They battle with sin to the day they die, but they are being changed by God's grace. We stumble in all in many ways, but then he says, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. That idea of a perfect man doesn't mean sinless, 
No one will be sinless on this earth. No one, we, you will not get to a place where you will have your final years of your life sinless if you keep growing as a Christian. No. Up until we die, we will battle our sinful desires and flesh, and we will sin. But there is a growth that takes place, a maturity, and that word perfect has to do with of a maturity and a completion of, of what it means to become a mature, true child of God. And he says, if anyone does not, if we all stumble in many ways, but if you don't stumble with your tongue, man, he's perfect, complete, mature, able to bridle everything else in his life. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us. We guide their whole bodies. And look at the ships also. They're large and they have great winds that drive them all over. And they're guided by this just very small. So the tongue is a small member and it boasts many things. So everyone stumbles, sins, blows it with their words. And if you can control your tongue, you're perfect, spiritually mature, control everything else. And he gives these two illustrations. He says there's a... A strong and wild horse is controlled by a small instrument, a bit. It goes into a horse, and it could be a raging horse, and that rider on the horse controls that animal through just this, in comparison, disproportionately small instrument, the bit. And he uses another illustration. Take a large boat, ship in the water with strong winds, and we learn and observe through nature or through human nature and through invention that they designed this small, this relatively small thing called a rudder and the pilot can direct that ship in the midst of waves and wind just with that rudder. The rider and the pilot take control of that little piece of that instrument and size. It's very disproportionate to the thing that is controlled. And he says, and so is your tongue. Really small. Just a a little flesh here. And it control, has has an impact so many other things. It it boasts great things, he says in verse 5. A bit boasts in the control it has on wild and raging horses. And a rudder boasts in the control of a great ship in choppy seas. And a tongue boasts so much in our lives. And I think what James is saying is if we can control our tongues, we can control the rest of our bodies. Not so easily done. Or the rest of our lives. He means that not only do we have the kind of strength, if we get the type of spiritual strength to be able to control our tongues, if we have that kind of discipline, then maybe we can have discipline over everything else. That, That might be somewhat what he means, but I think he's going even deeper Because you see, when we, given the difficulty of the tongue, we, the tongue is like a master switch. And we hit the master switch when we actually get at the heart of the tongue. When we get to the heart of where the tongue comes out and what we speak, think of the words that you spoke that you're not proud of this week. It might have been through a text message. It might have been on the phone. It might have been to your children, it might have been to your parents, it might have been to your brother or sister, it might have been to your neighbor, it might have been to coworker, it might have been under your breath. Where did those words come from? 
just, are they just free will words? They just kind of just float out there unconnected to anything else. It's the tongue doing it. You had nothing to do with it. It's just the tongue. No, it's not just the tongue. The tongue is spiritually connected. Our words are spiritually connected to something much deeper. And we get to the heart of this tongue. It's far more than words. It's, it starts in our mind and even more our heart, the inner person of who we really are, what we really love, what we really desire. The tongue is controlled by our mind and our heart. And when we, control, when we can control our words truly, when we become the type of husband that has mastered his language, his words towards others, when we become a type of mom who, whose words are in control with their children and with others, when we become a grandparent that so cares and is careful not to complain and to give life and grace to others, when we become young people who with our words to our brother or sister or to our parents master it, we did far more than some type of discipline, like disciplining to be able to run every day or something like that, bridling your body that way. There is something, because when we control our words, we've gone deeper than shutting our mouths. There are passions inside of our hearts, sinful desires that need to be destroyed. And this is what Jesus said to us. James knows what Jesus said. And I know that, I'm sure that James is even thinking about some of these things that his brother Jesus taught while he was on earth. Matthew 12, 33 through 35. You, you need to mark that. Jesus said to them, either make a good, the tree good and the fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. And then Jesus says this, with, with Pharisees who had been attacking Jesus, you brood of vipers. He just called them names. You could say he was being sarcastic a little bit. He was being attacking a little bit. He wasn't sinning. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil. You can't. You can't speak good when you're evil in your heart. Next phrase, verse 34, B, for out of the abundance of the heart. You've been to a party where someone's drinking and has drunk too much, and they're, what, do they, what do they do with their words? Do they talk a little or a lot? Often a lot. And they're just talking, talking, talking. And then a person that you would never hear talk a certain way talks foolishly and in a dirty way. And someone would go, oh, that's not them. That's not them. That's the alcohol in them. No, that's exactly them. The alcohol brought what was inside out. Because what was in the heart comes out of the mouth. And that's true with all of us. Anytime we speak sinfully to one another, we attack or complain or accuse or grumble. Anytime we do that and we catch ourselves, oh, what did, what did I do? That's not me. Yes, it's exactly you. At that moment, it is. Oh, God, help me overcome the me 
that has a heart that is too captured by lesser passions, not trusting and loving you. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so in Matthew 15, these ceremonial clean, eating the right foods and these ceremonial cleansings and the, the Pharisees were worked up about all these details about what they were eating to make them holy. And Jesus said this, don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and it's expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. Not what they ate. Not whether they ate with unclean hands through their ceremonial washings. What it's what comes out of the mouth from the heart. For out of the heart, he says, comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. I think what James is saying in these passages here when he warns us and he says to take your tongue seriously is if you really get to the heart of the tongue you really are getting to the control switch of your life. This, your tongue in some ways is like this master switch. Your heart, our hearts are the control board and are in control. question is, where is your heart? What controls your heart? Do you, is, is, it ever, is it increasingly a love for God because he loved you and gave himself for you? A love for rescued you, filthy hearted as you were, and embraced you and forgave you and is not done with you but will never stop giving himself to care for you to the end. That's what Christianity says about this new relationship with him. What controls your heart? Controls your tongue. And so getting to caring about the tongue goes to the depths of our heart. What, where is our desires? Where are we trusting? Who do we look to? Who rules our lives? Do we love others because we love Jesus? When we talk bad about others, at that moment, Jesus doesn't reign as beautiful to us and great. And we're not trying to show him off. And the people that God has put in our lives are not important to us for us to minister to. At that moment, they are in the way and they are the recipients of our fiery, fiery language. Take the tongue seriously. Number three, take the tongue seriously because your tongue is prone to do a lot of damage. He says, verses 5b through 11. Your tongue is prone to do a lot of damage, and you see that in these verses. Look at the second half of verse 5. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of righteous, unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. It's like a spark that can light a forest fire, and it loses control. I mean, that was devastating in that culture. It's devastating, especially out west, but it was devastating in a time when they had nothing to put out a fire. If a fire takes, takes rage on a, on a forest or brush fire, it is out of control, and they're at the mercy of the elements. He says, our tongue can be that way. Or as the old war adage says, loose lips sink 
ships. That was a, a statement in regards to don't talk during wartime because the enemy has spies everywhere and those spies will deliver it and your ships that are crossing the Atlantic to bring supplies might get sunk because they'll send the, that information. And so our loose lips impact others. Our words can cause great destruction. <laughs> I, I grew up hearing this. You probably did too. But I don't hear it as often. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But names will never hurt me. And that's not true. It's probably just the opposite. (laughs) Sticks and stones won't really hurt us in the same way as names and words. Words can crush the spirit of your wife, of your husband, your children. Your words can lift up and they can take hope out of them. Words and lies told lead to a lack of trust in God and other good authority. They're like fires flaming those around you and destroying. Our natural tongue, apart from God's grace, when we're not surrendered to him, are, contr- are controlled by our own desires, and they make a mess of everything, hurting others. If you don't make a mess with your tongue, is, and you're not being controlled by God, it's only the mercy of God and maybe your personality, but it is not of any credit to you, and it is not to the glory of God, and he wants us to get control of our tongues in a way that gets to the depth of our heart. And he says, left to ourselves, the tongue brings great harm. Proverbs 18, 17, you could read the Proverbs and you're going to find a lot on the tongue, that's the mouth. Proverbs 18, 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare to his soul. Or Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth... Guards, preserves his life, and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We find out that not only your tongue brings great harm to others, but it also is an evil from the devil. It says it is set on fire by hell. Hell is the domain of the devil, and he is all about lies, he's all about accusations and slanders, and he would love to divide Christians through their words. He would like to divide us, and he would want to destroy the language, the word life of the pastors and of members of this church. He would love for you to be double-minded in your life where you are one way one to some people, and to the other they see the real you, and they see you're just like everybody else. The devil loves to attack and divide our homes and our marriages and our churches and break hearts because sinful words come right from the pit of hell, he says. They are set on fire from, by hell. This is a word Gehenna had to do with this idea of a valley of a trash heap outside of Jerusalem that was used to burn garbage and it was always burning and it became a word picture for hell. It was also a place in with live sacrifices to idols and to gods into that valley. And so this, our words come from hellish influence. And he says in this passage that our, our words are untamable. 
Look at verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, all reptile and sea creature, they can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. He's, he's probably referring to Genesis when God said, you are to subdue and have control over all the earth, you mankind that I made in your image, made in my image. And he says, you actually do that. You tame and have control of all these animals, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human can tame this tongue unless our self has been crucified by Christ. There's no taming this tongue. We may think that we have it controlled, but the controlling agent of the tongue has not been tamed. It's untamable. It's like a fire, and we can't put it out. Pastors need to teach this we need to live this, he's saying in, chapter, in verse 1. And all believers are called to live this out. There, to, to emphasize this idea, I heard this story this week. There was a pastor who is probably in a, a, an African country who he, he was gathering with his church and he was talking with a, a dear lady in his church, but she had, had some issues with her tongue. And he gave her instructions. He said, dear lady... Would you walk to the market and get me a nice hen for my family to cook this afternoon? And she said, I would love to do that for you, Pastor. She went to, and he said one other thing. As you bring that hen back, would you unpluck the hen? Get rid of all the feathers on your way back. Just do that for me. That would be a help to me. She said, okay, I can do that. That was something well within her skills. She goes to the market. She buys a hen, and she's plucking that hen as she walks home. One mile, two miles, three miles, she gets the pastor's house, and the pastor says, thank you. Thank you for this. We're going to enjoy this. And he said, now I want you to go back and pick up all those feathers. She says, oh, pastor, I surely can't. He said, lady, my dear sister, neither can you pick up all the words that you spew out to everyone. You cannot control those words. So it is with our, our words. He's saying it, they're untamable. They're, they can be out of control. We cannot, who can tame them? And he says here that our tongue perverts and pollutes even the good. He says it's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord. There is an inconsistency that we might say, I'm doing good. I bless others. I don't do all bad. Not all my words are bad. I have a lot of kind words and praising words and thanking words and witnessing to the gospel words and Christian words and all of that. Yeah, I blow it a lot of other times. And he's going to say, with it, we bless our Lord, the Father, and we curse people who he has made in the likeness of God. We need to think in terms of the very people that you address with unkind or ungodly words, any word that is not building up but is destructive, any word that does not put itself under the rule of these words reflect that I love God more than anything and these words reflect that I am to love my neighbor more than myself. Any word that does not funder, fall under those categories, we are saying to people that God made in his own likeness. And he says, you bless people like that and you curse them out of the same mouth. 
This is not the way Christians act. This is not the way it should be. You see, because you could think that you could gain all of this by speaking well and a few times speak poorly, that speaking poorly can pollute everything. I could preach a sermon full of truth and at the end of the sermon, two or three sentences of vulgar profanity and folly and it could just wipe everything out. It polluted all and he's saying it is like that. He says in verse 11, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Fresh water was good. They used it to drink. But salt or dirty water was of no value. What happens when you have a spring and both are coming out there? You'd say, it's no good. the, the The good water doesn't make the bad water clean. The bad water overcomes the good water and it makes it all bad. And he's saying, your tongue is dangerous. It brings great harm. It can pervert and pollute the good around us. Last thing I want you to see in verse 12, the end of this passage. Take your your tongue seriously because your tongue reveals your true nature. Verse 12, can a fig tree... My brothers, bear olives, and, or a grapevine produce figs. And the answer, when we're reading this, it's a rhetorical question, and we all go, no, we know that. A fig tree does not bear olives. A grapevine doesn't produce figs. And his point here is, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All in the context of this passage, he's saying, An unbridled tongue, a tongue that is not put under the control of our Lord and Savior at the heart level is like this salt pond and it cannot yield fresh water and it will not produce real fruit. And your tongue actually reveals who you really are at the depth of you. A tree produces fruit according to its nature. An apple tree produces apples. If you got figs hanging off a tree, you know what kind of tree it is. And if your mouth is uncontrolled, you know what kind of person you are. And that's why in Matthew 12, he says, a tree is known by its fruits. This is all about words. You, you brood of vipers, you can, you can, can you only speak good when you're evil? For The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. So let me end and close with these final points. Take your son, your t- I keep saying son, take your tongue, take your tongue seriously and consider these things. Our natural born nature is full of sin. He's implying this. He's saying you can't control your tongue in your natural state. And this is, and I speak to you who are members and Christians in this church and to those who might be visiting and you're not sure if you're a Christian or you're just, you're, you're seeking out, you're wanting to know what is this all about. The, the, this is the story and this is the reality of every human being. We, our natural born nature is full of sin. We all stand condemned. And he says in verse 
two, we all stumble in many ways. And boy, is that true not only to Christians, but that is our natural state. We stumble because our badness to the bone. We, the depth of our heart is evil. And from that, we have evil hearts and our sin comes out. And that's what the gospel is proclaimed in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we better Jews off, better off? No, not at all. For we have all charged that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. All is, as is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. And he says in verse 13, there, here, now he gets to the mouth. Their throat is an open grave. He describes sinful human beings, our nature. Our, our throat is like an open grave. Just death comes out of our mouths. And they use their tongues to deceive. We're liars. Just like in the Garden of Eden. The venom of asps is under their lips. They just like have poisonous fangs that just bite with their tongues. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. These are all quotations from the Psalms as Paul brings them together. And he says, you want to know the depth of our heart? It is bad and it relates right to the mouth. There is no hope of taming your tongue. There is no hope in getting the master switch of your life taken care of, getting to the heart. There is no hope of getting control of that bit or rudder in the midst of your inner ragings and outward storms unless you get a new heart. And thankfully, he gives a new heart. Our old look to Jesus' nature that was passed on and must be passed on to us if we have any hope. The hope of the church, of living the way we need to live, is the fact that he comes in and he passed his nature onto us. And he starts to, he changes us from the inside out. He gives us his spirit. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse 22. Look at Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we were healed. Note that. No deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Jesus always spoke the truth. Jesus' words were always words of life. They were always words of compassion, whether it be to the prostitute or to the Gentile, the Samaritan woman, to those that were coming to him in need. They were words to convict. They were words to forgive on the cross, Father, forgive them. That's his words. His quoting scripture on the cross. He was words to fulfill scripture and to share scripture with others. Words of correcting and of teaching and of loving and admonishing. Jesus came and lived for 33 years and he talked and he talked and he talked. And not one time did words come out of his mouth that were of sin in any way. But instead, he bridled his tongue perfectly as he looked to his father. His father's agenda and mission, his love for his father and for the glory of his father was always about him 
as he walked on this earth, as he obediently went to the cross for bad-mouthed sinners like you and me. Jesus' words were always pure. Jesus always spoke what's right. And when we come to Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most glorious passages about Jesus' prophecies in the Bible, it says here in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth because he was submitting to the will of God that sent him. It says in verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul on the cross, he's referring to, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Friends, the only hope that we have and it is a great hope. It is a sure hope. It is a free offer. And it is the reality for all of us who are believers to control our tongue after we take it seriously is the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, gives us his spirit, gives us a new heart, and slowly and surely is working. And James is concerned that the believers in this church and the believers today at Faith Church of Linden will grow in the Savior's power of bridling our tongue, controlling the fiery switch within our heart that causes our mouth to be out of control and not for his glory. And so he gives us the gracious will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we could be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Friends, that is what he did for us. If you are saved, it is because he brought you forth by the word of truth, his word that is always pure. He brought you forth when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You were born again. Something new and different happened within your heart. It changed you. And he made you not just to sit on this earth, going around blessing and cursing, change and be his first fruits. And he is in the process of changing us. He is making you and I mature. You can grow to be mature in the way you talk this year. You can grow in the coming years to be where you would say, at one time I did not have control of it, but by God's grace as I look to the Jesus Christ who is my Savior and who did it all for me, I don't have to use my words as weapons. He is my protector. I don't have to gain through my words and selfishly because I have all in him. I don't have to belittle anymore and make myself feel better because I have all in all in him. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my goodness. He is my hope. We're going to transition here in a minute to the communion service. I think it's a fitting time in which we finish this and remember the Lord's death 
his grace to us. But I, I want to I challenge you to in a positive way now here. We have a responsibility as a church to not just bridle our tongues by putting a, a gag over our mouths and not talking. Because that's not what merely bridling our tongue is. James doesn't talk about what it is. Bridling our tongue means controlling it from evil words and speaking the truth in love. It means not letting bitterness and slander and gossip and critical speech come out of our mouths, but instead thanksgiving and encouragement and care for one another. And you could see that over and over again in Paul's letter to Ephesians when he says we are to speak the truth to each other in love. Or he says when we gather and we're singing, we are to address one another. We are to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you, do you realize that's what we're doing when we gather? One of, one of the things we do is when we sing, we're praising God and making melody in our heart to God. That's what we should do, James uh, Ephesians 5. But there's another thing. We are addressing one another. So when we were singing Christ our hope and life and death, it would have been fitting. We, we're not used to this. It would have been fitting for us to turn around to each other and be like pointing it out to them. <laughs> Christ our hope in life and death. And, and we, would just, we don't have to literally do that, but there is a sense in which when we gather on Sundays, one of, the most, one of our duties and joys is to speak. We bridle the tongue by speaking the truth in love, by singing the truth in love. That's why we choose songs rich in the gospel. We, spin, we sing promises to one another because we desperately need it in our marriages this week. And we need it in our parenting. We need it with our parents. And we need it with our trials. We need to help each other, remind each other of God's grace. Address one another in song. So we don't just address. And so we're gonna, what we're going to do in just a minute when we take communion, we're going we're gonna to get a chance to address one another in song. We're going to sing, His mercy is more. And so that song is actually not, it's singing to God, but it's actually singing to each other, singing to yourself and to each other. So as we come to take the communion, as we come to take and remember the Lord's death, there is a sense as the worship team is leading us and we're singing and we're walking down the making row and getting the elements and going back. Think in terms of, I'm called to bridle my tongue by singing truth to my neighbor and they to me. And that's one of the ways I'm nourished and grow and built up in love. I am to hold my tongue from other things and I'm to look to the one who was always pure and life-giving with his words. And I am to reflect that to others.